All right, welcome to Sunday School. We'll continue our study through Haggai while Brother DeGarmo is TDY to Senior NCO Academy. So I'm not sure how long I'll be teaching exactly. I know Brother DeGarmo is gone till through this month, but I think he's only back for like two months or two weeks, and then I think he's gone again, and then I think he's back for like another two weeks, and then he's gone again. So I don't know what's going on, um, but we'll see as far as we get. So if you haven't already, please turn to Haggai chapter 1, and let's begin by reading verses 1 through 7. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So we've spent the last two lessons in both Ezra and Haggai. First was to introduce this prophecy by looking in Ezra. And then to observe when Haggai comes onto the scene to help the children of Judah get back to work. Now, I'm not going to recap all the first week's lesson except to quickly say Judah was released from their Babylonian captivity when the Persians came in and took over, and Cyrus issued a decree for the Jews to return and to start building again the city and the temple. Things got off to a good start. Let's all recap. And just as soon as the tax came, though, just as soon as there was political pressure, they caved. They stopped the work on the house of God. And as one reads that account, it's as if they were all too willing to just stop. Almost as if they were thankful that the work could cease. I haven't preached this thought yet, but, excuse me, taught this thought yet at Sunday school. Amen. But sometimes I think people get the idea that the work of the Lord is going to be easy. But then it ends up being way harder than they thought. And so they're happy for any opportunity which will come along in which they can say, oh, good, I don't have to do that anymore. Remember all the excitement when Judah began to rebuild? Remember all the uh, great things that were happening as the foundation was laid and the people were shouting and rejoicing? They, they had this uh, excitement that was going on, and, and maybe they thought, this is going to be easier than I thought. This, everything was moving along, no issues, but come to find out it was hard work. And maybe that's why they were all too willing to quit. This is probably true on all levels of our walk with God. 
Some come to Christ and things start off well enough, but then the reality sets in that this thing isn't all about them. Ugh. You mean to tell me I've got to be faithful to church? That I need to read my Bible and that I need to pray and witness and give and all those things just to grow? Eh, forget it. I'll just go back to what I was doing. Some begin to grow and they're fine with the fact that it isn't any longer about them. So they begin uh, begin to serve in some capacity just to learn. Ministry is harder than I thought. Now, ministry is wonderful and I love it. But you will deal with a lot of problems. And for many, they conclude the work is too hard. And so they just give up. Some go one step further, they begin to serve, and they serve faithfully, but in time, reality sets in that not everyone in church is excited about their ministry. You know, we we pitch the idea to get the buses running, yeah, and then the kids come in here, don't behave the way we want them to behave, and All of a sudden, we're not as excited about the bus ministry. Somebody maybe wants to, I've heard this testimony in other churches, they'll start like an addictions recovery program. Yeah, we need to help those that are addicted. Well, guess what? They come with a lot of baggage. Hey, man, I I think it was Paul Kingsbury. He's one of the big guys in RU, I think. But anyway, he said... uh, this is so funny. I mean, he was talking about are you and the, the kind of people you attract. And he's like, yeah. When the choir starts, I don't know if they're going to break out their lighters and just start waving. <laughs> I guess it's cell phones today. But um, go back to their concert days. He said, uh, somebody will come in and say, did you know so-and-so is smoking in the parking lot? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Amen. Is everybody with me? We're all excited about it until something rubs us the wrong way. And they were like, no, we're not that excited about ministry anymore. We're not excited about that. Um, Not everyone likes the Sunday school teachers. Not everyone likes the patch teachers. Not everyone is excited about the nursing home ministry or the jail ministry. And the reality is not everyone is, is excited or on board with the vision and the ministries of this church. And so some will serve very faithfully for many years and Sometimes they just grow tired of it. Maybe they kind of get burned out. So instead of just taking a break, they just quit altogether. And when the going got a little bit tough in Judea, they left off building the house of God. And like many who throw in the towel, no matter what stage of life and growth they were in in their Christian life, when they throw in the towel, obviously they're going to go back to selfish pursuits. And that was the focus last week from verse 3. The Lord asked the people through Haggai, is it time for you? O ye to dwell in your sealed houses in this house lie waste. Is it time for you? Well, many believe it is. Young people think it's their time to get all they can out of life. Us middle-agers can't wait for the day when it is all about us again. 
And many seniors say, well, I've earned the right to have it all about me. And just that first phrase alone might be enough for some to get going again. That might be enough to get some refocused and get back to the work of God in their life. But God adds, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses in this house lie waste? And so we have to understand, it wasn't just that they had stopped the work of God, but it was that they were now adorning their houses. The, the, the resources, the effort, the money was all being poured into their own houses instead of the house of God. And here's the application. When we say it's our time, the work of God comes to a standstill. That's why a lot of churches don't have anything going on. Because people in the church say, it's my time. And so ministries just end up failing and lying in ruins. And then it takes somebody to come along and resurrect them. And what happens over time is we forget the importance of it all in the first place. We, we just lose our vision. We lose sight of what it was and why we were doing it to begin with. Would you turn over with me, please, to Second Chronicles? Hold your place in Haggai, especially if it took you 14 minutes to find it to begin with. <clears throat> but if you'll turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 7. We're not going to take the time to read chapter 5 and on, but I'm going to highlight some points from chapters 5 and 6 before we read from chapter 7. And so while you're turning there, chapter 5 begins with Solomon finishing the house of the Lord. They bring in the Ark of the Covenant, and it finally is resting in its rightful place. The priests are all gathered together and sanctified. The singers and instrumentalists are all assembled. And the Bible says they made one sound. They were unified. They, they made one sound in praising and thanking God. And they said, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then the Bible says the house was filled with the glory of the Lord. So much so that they couldn't even minister because of the presence, the fullness of the presence of God there in the temple. In chapter 6, Solomon blesses Israel and then he prays to God and his prayer turns to the significance of the house of the Lord. And this is where I kind of want you to get from this. And he prays a bunch of things. He, he prays that thine eyes may be open to this house day and night. Upon the place whereof thou hast said, thou wouldest put thy name there to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth toward this place. Hearken therefore unto the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, when thou hearest to forgive. And I'm just highlighting chapter 6 here. And if thy people Israel be put to the worst before the enemy, because they have sinned against thee and shall return and confess thy name, and pray and make supplication before thee in this house. Then he prays when there would be times of drought, pestilence, blastings, mildew, locusts, caterpillars, all due to sin. If the enemies come against them, then let us acknowledge our sins and spread forth our hands in this house. And hear and forgive that we may fear and walk in thy ways. He asked God to hear the Gentiles who would come to the house of, of the Lord to pray so that all the earth may know that this house is called by thy name. 
He prays if we, if we ever have to go to war, then hear our prayers when we pray toward this city and this house. And, and, and if we go into captivity, may we remember to pray toward this house. Are you getting the point that the house of the Lord was important to Israel? Now for chapter 7, Solomon ends his prayer and fire falls from heaven and consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices and God's glory fills the house. Israel bows their face to the ground and worships saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And many sacrifices were then made to hallow the house of the Lord. And then if you'll look with me, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Now after those verses, God uh, is clear that the blessings upon this house are going to be conditional to their obedience to him. But we see in these verses that I just read how important, um, let me say that differently, how much importance God had placed on the temple. He answers Solomon's prayer from chapter 6, and he says, I have chosen this house, and I will hear the prayers made at this house. And if his people will humble themselves and pray at his house, then he will hear from heaven, and he will forgive, and he will heal. And God placed his name there. God thought the house of the Lord was important to Israel. But when they forsook the house of God after their captivity, they lost sight of how important the house of God was, not only to them as a nation, but to God. They forgot what they were missing out on. And this is the great danger of generational lapses of faith. And we are seeing this happen right before our eyes in America today. We are living in the midst of a generation who don't even know what they are missing out on because their parents forsook the house of God. This is why we hear so many today say, why do I need church? What's the big deal? They don't remember or they don't know about the move, the great move of God in the past half century. Just before this current great falling away to, started taking place. I don't know if you realize this or not, but at one time in America, the largest churches in America were independent Baptist churches.
it wasn't terribly long ago. In fact, some of you in here were part of that movement when men and women began to leave the denominational machine of the Southern Baptist Church and flee to the independent Baptist movement, especially through the 50s and 70s. And today, there's not one independent Baptist church in the top 50 congregations in America. And before, it was almost the entire top 10. I think the only one that wasn't was the cathedral church. <laughs> I'm not even going to do a Robert Schuller impression. Uh, but you would really dig it. <clears throat> there has been a definite shift in American churches. And what we need is some God-called preachers to rise up and to cry aloud and to spare not and to get the unchurched generation to see their great need for this house. Amen. I'm glad there's one of you. And so God sends Haggai to remind you, uh, Judah, it's time for you to get back to work. He, he helps them. He encourages them. He strengthens them for the work, as we saw in Ezra 5.2 last week. And God sends Haggai to remind them not to doubt in the night what God had revealed in the light. And God sends this man so that the main thing will once again be the main thing. And so we left off in verse 5 last week where we read, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I want us to understand this word, ways. Man, I saved my spot in Haggai and just lost it. It's still there. Thank you, sister. I don't recall anybody asking the gallery. Amen. I still ain't read that article yet. I may change my opinion by the time I read. <laughs> uh, we'll edit that too. Amen. This is, I love this. I, I love being able to do this. Um, I can pretty much say what I want and just, anyway. I want us to understand this word ways. It's more than just a moment in time or a momentary lapse of judgment, but it means a course of life. When I was a kid and I did something stupid, in a moment of time, my dad would say, think about what you're doing, son. Right? But when he saw something in me that had a trajectory to it, he would say, think about the way in which you are heading. One's very momentary, the other has lasting consequences. Typically, the way in the Bible speaks of a well-trodden path. It's the journey that you are on today. It's the direction you're heading in. Consider your ways. Consider the path you're on. Consider where this path leads to. Consider where... Your current trajectory will take you. Remember that the work on the house of God had ceased for some years. It ceased under Artaxerxes, and it didn't resume until the second year of the reign of Darius. And therefore, God is telling them, consider your ways. Why? Because this had become their path. And the end result was not going to be pleasing to God. And we need to take time to consider our ways. 
What path are you in today? Where are you heading? Where does it lead? What is going to be the end result of the path you are on? For Judah, they were heading down a path with no temple. No place to worship as God had commanded them to do under the law. Now, that has much further reaching consequences than we may think at first. It was at the temple where the high priest would make atonement for the people. It was at the temple where God's glory would enter into. It was at the temple where the people would offer sacrifice for their transgressions, their iniquities, their sins. But all of that was being forsaken. You see, I want you to understand this right here. It wasn't just about building a fancy building. But it's about being able to honor and praise and worship God in the beauty of holiness as He has commanded. This is why we need to consider our ways. What are we doing with our lives? Are we honoring God with our lives? Are we concerned about the work of God? Do we even really care about our church? All too many today in churches would be just fine if the doors were to close. Oh, I can finally manicure my lawn. Sounds goofy, but that's what people do when I drive into church. Some might even be like Judah and breathe a sigh of relief. <sighs> now I can do what I want to do. It's because the work of God and the operation of God and the economy of God, it's not our focus. But rather, church is just something that fills a space in our calendar. It's something we do in our weekly activities. And if the church were to shut down, we would just find something else to plug into that blank spot in our schedule. I'm asking you to consider your ways. Because when you get to the end of your life and you realize you have no more time left and that you are soon going to stand before your judge, then it will hit you. That all which is going to matter in eternity is what I did for God. What did you do with the time that he gave you? I was watching a 25-minute documentary on the preachers of the last century. And um, I, I didn't mean to find it. I was actually trying to listen to a guy preach. And during the service, they showed this, this video, and I got drawn into it. And uh, it was talking about all these different men. But anyway, Curtis Hudson came up. And I'm trying to find where I left off in my notes here just a second. Oh, here we go. And so Dr. Hudson, agree or disagree with the man, he was known for his soul-winning zeal. And he was less than a week away from his death. And the guy who was narrating the documentary was Bobby Robertson. And um, he said, Curtis Hudson said to me, 
less than a week from his passing. I'm going, I'm going to go see my Lord this week, and I feel like such a failure. I wish I would have done more. And, and Bobby Robertson said this. He said, I think the closer we get to the end of our life, the more clearly we see our failures. God wants us to consider our ways before it's too late. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life just to realize I didn't do what I should have been doing for God. Is it time for you? Consider your ways. But all too many don't see the importance of the house of God in their life or personal soul winning or personal devotions or personal time of prayer with God. And instead we do our own thing when we ought to be considering our own ways and how all of this is going to turn out. Do you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? I do. What are the consequences? If we're not faithful, if we don't do the work of God, there's, there's really too many to list. But you will miss out on God's blessing, God's blessing in your life. You'll miss out on seeing people saved. You'll miss out when the Lord gives rewards to his servants. Well, I don't care about rewards. I bet you go to work because you expect a paycheck. Just this past week, I was greatly stirred by this thought. How many will be in heaven as a result of my service to Christ? How many? How many are you taking with you? Because honestly, outside of finally seeing God face to face, that's the greatest reward we can know. What greater blessing can there be than to know that my children are safely in eternity? I love the theme that God gave Brother Long for our teens this year. Make it count. Maybe you gave it to Ken, I don't know, but... um, Adrian did. Way to go, Shug. The theme verse being Psalm 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We don't have much time in this life. Let's suppose we all live to be 80. Some of you are on borrowed time, but let's suppose we all live to be 80. Now, break that up into four quarters. Which quarter are you living in? You're lucky for now. Many would look at me and say, you're still a very handsome, muscular young man. I get that. I do that every time I look in the mirror. But you would agree, most of you in here, that I'm still a young man. And yet I'm in the third quarter of my life. And we're making a big assumption that we'll even make it to 80. So when's the last time you've considered your ways? 
Now, look at verse 6 and see what God wanted them to consider more precisely. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. So we see here, there are consequences for not honoring God. There are consequences for not doing the work of God. Their excuse for neglecting God was that they needed to provide for themselves. And that's still a common excuse today. There are those who neglect the house of God and God's work because they choose to work on Sunday and not honor the Lord's day. And the reason they cite this is because they have to provide for their family. I know I'm going to infuriate some, but whatever. Maybe if you would honor God with what is His, then you wouldn't have to work that extra day. Maybe if you would trust God with your Sundays and trust God with your tithe, then you wouldn't have that added stress. Now, I know certain jobs require you to work on Sunday. I was 21 years active duty. I get it. Sometimes you have to. But if you have a choice in the matter, you need to go into that interview saying, I'm not working Sunday. Because I want you to understand that God always does a better job of providing for us than we can do for ourselves. We find in our text that they sowed much, but they brought in little. They had some to drink, but they were not quenched. They had clothes, but they were not warm. They made money, but they had none to spare. And this is what happens when we forsake the things of God. There will be no fruit in our labors. God wants them to see that the reason they lacked wasn't because they weren't working hard or not putting forth labor, but it was because they put forth their labor in the wrong direction and with the wrong focus. And in so doing, they were working towards their own desires and forsaking the work of God. Now, God wants us to provide for our families. In fact, the Bible says if a man doesn't, he's lower down than an infidel. God wants us to sow. He wants us to be clothed. He wants us to earn money, but not at the expense of forsaking him. I don't believe in what we call today the prosperity gospel movement. And unfortunately, their false teaching has tainted the point that I'm going to try to make now. But you search the Bible and you'll see there are great blessings for those who honor God. Those who will honor God with the first fruits of their substance. Now think about this. They were doing all this work. They were trying to have all this increase, but where were they supposed to bring their offering to? (laughs) There's no house of God. 
How, how are you going to fulfill what God's commanded without the temple there? God commanded the first fruits be brought, uh, brought to the temple. Which also begs the question, then how are the priests being taken care of? Because they were to live off of the offerings. Do you see how quickly all of this can spiral downward? Because we may look at a ministry and say it's no big deal in the grand scheme of things. But really it is. We don't know who we're going to reach on those buses. Anybody in here a bus kid growing up? Three and a half of you, I'm not sure what happened there. Which is why one had the vision to get the thing started. You never know who you're going to reach. We might be reaching the next preacher of Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. Not too soon. I'd like to be here. Lord, whatever you want. People today say they don't need church. (laughs) If you really want to have fun with them, then just ask them this. Then where are you taking your first fruits? I knew you were all about money. Where are you honoring God? Where is the the first fruits of your increase going if you forsake church? Let me just go ahead and nail this down. (laughs) If you don't honor God with your substance, with the first fruits, you can go ahead and mark it down. Verse 6 will be your life's testimony. Man, I work and I never get ahead. Man, Lou grew three sizes in one week. Ask Luke, y'all ready to eat? Yeah. Man, I just, I just never seem to have enough. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying our bank accounts are going to be overflowing. I don't have anything in the bank. But God meets all of my needs. Well, I'm just not making it, preacher, and I need the extra money. Have you considered that you're not making it because you're not honoring God? There are several in our church who live off far less than many of us in here, and yet they're doing just fine. Why? Because they honor God with what they do have. Many today could not or would not be willing to live off what we can pay our staff. But they make it work. Or should I say it this way? God makes it work. I've told you before that since I became a pastor, it doesn't make sense on paper. Now, back when I was in O3E and I was making it rain up in here, and, you know, those were good times. I could pretty much do what I wanted to do financially. And, uh, you know, I could buy all the boots I wanted. Amen. I no longer make fun of ladies and their shoes. I get it now. My man, since, since becoming, and I'm not, I'm not poor mouthing God, and woe is me, poor Baptist preacher. I just need a gift card to Longhorns. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you, it makes no sense on paper. God has not only met all of our needs, 
But he's gone above and beyond that and even given us some of our wants. And I can't explain it. We've even been able to increase our giving in the process. And I'm, I'm, what I'm telling you is it's not fancy budgeting on my part because I don't live by a budget. I'm just that guy who's like, what's due next? Anybody else like, all right, Lord, what's the next bill I got to pay? Bam, paid. All right, Lord, let's pray about the next one. It ain't, it ain't fancy budgeting, which is why I rarely do any financial counseling. I hand that over to someone like Mike Petraco, who does fancy budgeting. Well, maybe not too fancy. Look, if you're doubting this is how God works, because I know you're out there, I want you to look at verses 9 through 11 just for a moment, and we'll probably come back to these in, the future, in a future lesson more in depth. Listen to what God said. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house. That is waste. And ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew. And the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn. And upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth. And upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. It was all God. We, we think we are in control of things. We think if we just work that extra day, if we just put in that extra overtime, if we just forsake the Lord's day, then in our fancy maneuvering, God is going to bring enough in, and God says, I control all of that. They put forth the work, and God said, I will not bless it. God gives the increase as we honor Him. If we choose not to, then according to those verses, God has the power to withhold as He sees fit. Well, I don't like a God like that. Well, I'm sorry, but that's the God that we have. And so God says again in verse 7, Consider your ways. Is this the path that you really want to go down? Is this really how you want to live? Do you want to just keep laboring to have nothing? Or do you want to get back to doing what I've called you to do and experience my blessings upon your labors? Now, don't you walk out of here and try to, try to apply this to the wicked. Asaph was like, what's up, Lord? The wicked have more than they can use, and I'm over here trying to do right, and I have nothing. So don't try to apply it to the wicked. But I'm telling you, this is how God works with his children. Because get this, over there, I think it's in Psalm 78, when Asaph finally said, 
When I went to the house of God, it made sense. Until I went back to the sanctuary. How were they supposed to do that without a sanctuary? Man, I... Okay. God wants us to get back to doing what He's called us to do. And then we'll experience His blessings upon our labors. And God wanted them to consider where this was going to lead them. And what God is saying here, it's going to lead to a life of struggle. A life full of high expectations, but yielding very little. Well, next year is going to be different. 25 years later. Consider your ways today. Where does the path that you're on lead to? Maybe you've underestimated how hard the work of God can be. And you've started to withdraw from the work. Please don't forsake the work of God in your life, but consider your ways. Are you honoring God with your increase? Maybe you don't have peace financially because you refuse to trust God with your tithes and offerings. People say, you know, God only expects the tithe. No, not if you read Malachi chapter 3. Wherein have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. I like what Kenny Baldwin will say when he's preaching. Don't get nervous when I talk about the tithe. We haven't even got to your money yet. We just need to get right with God. In this adult Sunday school class, most of us are either in the third or fourth quarter of our lives. Are you making your life count for the work of God? Because it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We will give an account. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning because you first loved us. We love your word because it instructs us in righteousness. It helps us to consider our ways and to be right with you. Lord, help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us to be busy about your work. And may we honor you with all that you give us as increase. Now, Lord, I don't know if this spoke particularly to anyone today but I sure hope it was a help. If anything, an encouragement to just keep on keeping on. Now, Father, I pray you'd go with us into the morning service, anoint the choir, bless the singers, and just may the preaching of your word go forth with great power. We ask it for Christ's sake because he's worthy. Amen.